HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, everyone. This is Chaparivan, and today is quite a bizarre day. Today is goodbye. After 150 and plus episodes, after winning and being nominated for rather prestigious awards, I've decided that I would like to make a new project. I am extremely enthusiastic about inviting other voices to better understand what mezcal can be, to better understand the artisans that sustain these spirits and the ecosystems that enrich it. So this new project is going to be called Heritage Mezcal. It will be available in all of the platforms just as a Gabber road trip. It will also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and all of those things that we have to do. And Roy will be part of this. I cannot afford Roy. So if you guys have any idea of how can I get money to do that, I'll be nothing but grateful. For uh, the time being, I'll just be using my savings. On a more serious note though, this was a grand time. I can't believe the amount of love that we received while doing this podcast. Even though I think it was rarely the occasion where we had a solid conclusion, I think people were nothing but grand to us. The amount of emails, the amount of texts, the amount of help that we received from you guys, you Agave nerds, it's invaluable. So from deep of my heart, really thank you for this. And also to you, Homelu. It was, it was a great time, and I hope you kept on having fun. Uh, and that's all. See you on heritagemezcal.com, heritagemezcal, Instagram, all of those. Adiosito. I'm Steven Alvarez, professor at St. John's University. Ismael Gomez, like a spirit's importing. And this is Agave Road Trip, the critically acclaimed award-winning podcast that helps bring expert letters by nourishing agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. And today I want to talk to you guys about a little concept that I have. What's that, Lou? Okay, well, there's so many of these, these untruths or semi-truths that are spread throughout the world by the geekiest of the geeks of the mezcal geeks. And I... Hold on. Uh, are you one of those geeks? Oh, I'm definitely one of those geeks. You're the king of the geeks. I wouldn't say the king. I'm maybe the jester of the geeks. I'll take jester of the geeks. So um, I have a, a, a thing that I've been calling this uh, mainly because I bought the URL for it.
Yeah. Uh, so when I hear something like, all tequila is mezcal, but not all mezcal is tequila. When I hear one of these untruths, these false facts, um, I refer to it as mescaleria. To be sure, that's not the place where you buy mezcal. This is something else. Yeah, it's spelled differently. It's like a, a combination. I, there's What do you call it? A portmanteau? A portmanteau of mezcal and diarrhea. Mescaleria. And you bought the URL. I did. I, I Both with an E and an A, just because I don't want somebody undercutting me. So I got both. The funny thing is, I'm not sure most people know how to spell diarrhea. So they're not going to get there anyway. I think you have too much free time in your hands, Lou. And I've got way too many URLs. That is correct. That is 100% correct, my brother. So, you know, I thought it would be fun to go through on this episode while we're sitting here in a hotel room. And I can't even say the name of this town. What is Quatzacualcos. Yeah, and in, in, that's in, in which state are we? Veracruz. Beautiful, that I, beautiful that I Veracruz. I think I could have said. I just couldn't remember. What? Beautiful, beautiful Veracruz. Yes, beautiful Veracruz. It looks like 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 one of those pulse bombs hit this town, and every, the people died, but the buildings are standing. I think it must have been hurricanes. That's what I'm going to say. But, you know, I still love it because it's Mexico. There you go. Okay, so um, to get away from the destruction of Veracruz and <laughs> to get it back on the subject of mescalaria, explosive mescalaria. So uh, let's go around. So, like, what are some of the things that you've heard repeated time and again that you know are inaccurate, but you keep hearing from either the press or from the general public? Ismail, you're always doing these tastings. What do you hear? Well, there's definitely a confusion in people trying to understand that statement. And uh, it's uh, very important for us that we are within the industry that we try to clear that out for them. And uh, <clears throat> it's important for us to understand that when we call tequila, tequila, mezcal, mezcal, at the end of the day, what makes those spirits uh, be called like that, it's a certification, and we can probably get into it more uh, as we go. Sure, sure, though we've done like a bunch of episodes already on certification. I'd rather people just read my article so that Inside Hook will pay me to do another one. All right, we can do that too. <laughs> Steven, what do you have for a mescaleria? You know, I, I, as you said it, I think probably the thing that really strikes me, and I should say this preface is I'm not an agave expert like you two, but I come at this at Mexican foodways. I, I wouldn't say I'm, uh, I'm an agave expert. Well, me neither. I would say compared to where I'm at, you guys, you're, I would put it this way, your, your agave literacy uh, is much <laughs> further than mine. And I feel like agave literacy is the opposite of what you're talking about. What you're talking about is the, is the spread of misinformation by people who are misinformed and maybe have done a little bit of homework, but haven't done extensive homework. Really doing the research into the people and the communities and the histories that make this stuff. And so for me, I guess probably the what gets most surprising to me is sometimes where folks think about the product, but they don't think about the people and the process. And I feel like that part, the process and the people who make it are the parts that are sometimes forgotten. And the spirits overwhelmingly become the, uh, the primary focus. So I guess my, my take on, on this is the mescaleria is the way that folks might decontextualize the spirit from the people because the spirit is an expression of Mexican people, in particular of the particular maestros themselves. Well, sometimes it is, but then sometimes it's zignum, right? Hey, man, maybe I'm spreading some mescaleria there. <laughs> well, this, this is exactly what I'm saying, right? Like the, the theory, and I see this all the time, that, oh, well, the difference between tequila and mezcal is tequila is made industrially and mezcal is made by hand. 
Right. And and the truth is like, OK, sure, the vast majority of mezcal is is made by hand, but some of it is industrially made. And the vast majority of tequila is made by hand, but some of it is I'm sorry, is made industrially, but some of it is made by hand. And and so that in itself is mescaleria. You know, I actually say that, though, I mean, anyone who has a blanket statement that says all this is this and all this is this, that's that's a clear sign of some. Mescaleria, I think. I, I would I would agree. Like, you would never age mescal in wooden barrels. Well, y- y- yeah, you, you, you would. In some communities, I've certainly seen it in Mexico. And there's nothing wrong with it. No. It depends on what you like. Yeah. And the idea that somehow all mescal that has a gusano in it has to be a tourist mescal... Right? Like, okay, tell that to Lalo. He does a beautiful mezcal with, well, he does a beautiful destilado de agave with, with a gusano in it. There is fat in the gusano, so there's plenty of flavor that we can get from it. Tell me about the fat in the gusano. I have tasted a couple of mezcales with gusano in it, and one thing I've noticed is that the gusanos, they start releasing little particles slash little tiny bubbles of, of uh, fat that uh, the mezcal gets infused with it in uh, imparts delicious flavors to it. I'm not sure it's my, it's my number one favorite, but I have tasted some mezcal with gusano in it that is pretty tasty. Well, there you go. Okay, so we know now that uh, it's mescaleria to say that good gusano, good mezcal doesn't have gusano. It's it's mescaleria to say that that good mezcal would never be aged in wood. It's mescaleria to say that uh, all tequila is mezcal. What else is mescaleria? I mean, well, the first thing that came to me is is some folks say that uh, mezcal is pre pre Columbian. That it was like a pre-Hispanic drink without even taking into account that, well, distillation came with the Europeans and transformed. Not to say that agave wasn't being made and fermented in the pulque and things like this, right? Yeah. But that to say that the, you know, it was already happening. And truth be told, maybe it was. Uh, the archaeological evidence hasn't proven it yet necessarily, but it, you know, it, it may have been. But it's also one of these things where Europeans came and they did their own thing and they fused cultures to make something completely different. And as Mexicanos are uh, mestizos, I feel like sometimes the agave spirits are also kind of like a mestizo kind of a, a mixture that is of, of the old world and the new world. You know, it, it's interesting. Whenever I hear that question, uh, right, like, is, is distillation in Mexico, is it pre-Hispanic? Well, it also would be pre-Mexico at that point. But did, well, is it pre-Hispanic? And, and to my mind, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Like, there's, there's evidence that suggests it was. But to my mind, you know, that's not the, the pertinent question. I think the pertinent question is why when the rest of the world industrialized everything they made, why in so many communities of rural Mexico did they continue to make the spirit in an inefficient manner by hand? That to me is the far more interesting conversation than is this pre-Hispanic or not? I, I totally agree. I mean, I feel like uh, that's the point I was getting at earlier, that sometimes it's about the product that's decontextualized from the people and their history. And understand, I mean, like just like you said, it is a laborious process. And, and understand really to see that process from beginning to end, and also that it's tied to sometimes spirituality, connections to the land, larger pictures that are historical. And sometimes when you ask those questions, mescaleria questions, you may overlook some of the, the present conditions that also affect some of the maestros right now. And it's also important to understand that um, 
most of these processes have remained the same, mainly because of economics, or because uh, most of these producers don't have the money to be able to buy the equipment to have more efficient uh, distillation processes, which has led for them to keep distilling uh, agave spirits in what we believe is an artisanal way. I, boy, I, I actually, I'm going to push back against that too, brother. So one of the things that I see a lot when I travel around rural Mexico is these men and women who are making these spirits and they're, they've got their open air fermentation going, right? Like they will have steel fermenters, closed steel fermenters that would make their lives so much easier. Like that's a simple, that's a simple adjustment in their process. Um, they'll have the tools to do it. And they don't do it. They were given these fermenters by and large by the government, which had this program where they were rolling them out, maybe because somebody's cousin was making them, maybe not. I don't know the truth. Uh, but you will see these fermenters, and so frequently in these communities, these families are using the fermenters instead to store grain or turn them into chicken coops where they do have the tools. So it's not always economics. But it's probably because they don't have a market for all of the mezcal that they could be selling. So they choose to use that collect container for something that they can uh, use. I don't. I don't know, bro. Like I. I would think if you've got the opportunity to just not have to pay attention to your fermenter, so that you're not staying up for forty eight hours distilling, right? Like you could literally just let that fermentation sit because it's not going to turn into vinegar. You've got a closed fermenter. It's not going to be um, uh, uh, converted by all of the wild acetic acid bacteria in the air from alcohol into vinegar. So you could just let it sit. Take your time. You could do a five day distillation. It's not going to affect what you got going. I really do think that this is a different view of how uh, how products should be made. I think that the view, and obviously it's not every single family, but the view that so many of these families have is they want the best result and efficiency doesn't even come into the equation. It's literally, how do I get the best result? Well, the best result is I, I fermented open air. It's going to be a little bit wild. There's going to be some vinegar in there. There's going to be that sour strain running through it, but just a little bit. And I want that sour strain because that tastes like what I remember drinking when I was a kid. That's, that's actually well, well put. I like that. And it's also the, the sense that uh, efficiency means quick fast mass produced but we're talking like a way to really think about like ancestral heritage slow and time being a part of the process that time is necessary for the process but time doesn't always work in terms of efficiency which maybe is another mescaleria misconception <laughs> so let me ask you this and this is another mescaleria what do you guys understand by ancestral when i hear the word ancestral i think and maybe this is my mistake but i do connect it to pre-hispanic I, I, th I, I totally do. But also I think about, uh, I, I, I tie it to the word ancestry. And let me put it this way. Hmm, Sometimes in the United States, you know, we talk about people, <laughs> there's people who talk about our forefathers and there's people who talk about our ancestors. And typically the people who are talking about the ancestors are folks of color. But ostensibly, what I, I like to think about this is that ancestral knows, you know your roots, you know where you come from. And that's a big part because sometimes when you know your roots, your roots are strong and people will try to tear your roots away from you. And I think that happens, especially when we think about like uh, some of the, the maestros and, and when they're up against some of these big corporations and when the, the roots are not efficient, but the roots are, are their tradition, it's their ancestors. And when they take that time, they're honoring their tradition, they're honoring their ancestors. So, you know, when, when I hear that word ancestral, my head goes directly to the certification process. 
right? So, you know, there's there's the concept of ancestral in a broader sense, right? And that's not really defined by anything legally except by, within the context of agave spirits, except by um, mezcal, by the, the, the mezcal certification process, by that DO. And th- that definition, it's, it's interesting to me, even the people who um, have mezcal brands don't fully understand um, th- each of the steps involved to make something ancestral um, uh, or artisanal in my experience. Um, but that's that's what I think of. And then, you know, when you see the, the word used somewhere else, like in the context of tequila, like the tequila that I know that's currently using the word ancestral, you know, I think it actually does reflect the ancestral heritage of those spirits. But literally anybody could use that word and it could mean anything. So right now, all the, the context that I've seen of it has been, in my opinion, accurate to what ancestral should mean. But literally, if Jose Cuervo wanted to slap that on their gold, there's nothing to stop them. I agree. That's why I asked the question, what it means to you, what it means to me. And to me, it means uh, something that uh, goes back to the arrival of the Spaniards. Or, or at least that what the word is such a, has such a strong connotation that uh, that's what it means to me. But uh, you see... And that is, that's what makes it so inaccurate. Yeah. Not talking about the definitions that the CRM has towards them. Yeah, and, and, and that takes away from what the word really means because it's pointing out like what you're talking about is more of a marketing strategy. Right. And yeah. not, that, that's nothing to do with ancestors. Like ancestors, <laughs> forget what this. How can we sell that word without anything relating to the people? Just to be fair, my ancestors were all about marketing, just so we understand. <laughs> I come that. from a long line. You come from I a long line of marketers. Long, okay. Very long line of marketers. Okay. Well, you know, I think unless somebody has another bit of mescaleria they want to blow out of their pants. I got nothing to blow out of my pants. <laughs> Okay, thanks for joining me for this episode, guys. Catch you next episode. You've been listening to Agave Road Trip, the critically acclaimed award-winning podcast that helps Gring X bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. We're blessed with sound engineering by Roy Sierra and a theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Marco Ricos. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, well, I'm sure you'll let us know that too. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Agave Road Trip. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pit Bulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization using the power of education educational storytelling about food to build a more equitable, resilient food system. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network might lead you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If you drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Drive responsibly. Eat responsibly, too. And listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio 
network responsibly. Wear protective earbuds while wearing protective earbuds. Do not drive. Do not walk either. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to stretch every 30 minutes. If you stretch every 30 minutes, please stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, maybe Dr. Ryan A. Cox, the cocktail MD, can help you out. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip. Out.